and I have been ready for this series for a while. The Bible says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us come into the house of the Lord. Man, I'm excited to be here today. So I was doing a little bit of research back in 1964. It was 12 years before I was born. Doug Knight was about 45 at that time. Lou was 43. They had these big boxy things that sat in your living room called televisions. They were amazing. They had these two little things that stuck out from the top of them called antennas. And a slow motion TV show, nothing like this had ever been done before, came out called Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. I remember watching it every year as a kid. To look back now, you get excited. It's funny, I remember as my kids were growing up, I would want them to watch some of the same movies that I watched growing up. I remember them being amazing. And then you would turn them on, and technology is just so advanced nowadays. Special effects is so advanced nowadays. Computer generation is so advanced nowadays. You can't believe that you actually watched stuff like that. We actually know teenagers that can make better quality stuff than what we used to watch. But nevertheless, I still love Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. We all know the story. Rudolph was born with a red nose. The other reindeers made fun of him because that's what people would do when you don't fit in. When you don't seem like everyone else. So Rudolph pouts and he's kind of weak there for a moment. And he flies off and he goes to this island of misfit toys. And the island of misfit toys is where all the broken toys go. All the toys that were produced... In a messed up way, it might have been a combination. It might have been this arm was attached to this toy that didn't belong. And they're all there, and they're kind of weird, and they're kind of creepy. And they're the island of misfit toys. But the island of misfit toys is where Rudolph finds acceptance. It's an amazing thing. And they send Rudolph back, and Rudolph saves Christmas. And man, here we are, and we're still celebrating ever how many years later because Rudolph saved the day. The island of misfit toys, where those who don't belong were able to gather. Where those who didn't see things like everyone else sees things were able to gather. Where those who were normal judged them and they went off and found acceptance together. Kind of reminds me of Action Church. From day one, I have said, I want us to be the island of misfit toys. I want us to be the church for those that don't do church. From a business standpoint, and make no mistake about it, a lot of churches are business. That doesn't make a lot of sense. It's kind of like saying I'm starting a steakhouse for vegetarians. It's just a piss poor plan. We're going to do church for those who don't do church. We're going to do church for those who don't feel accepted by mainstream church. And here's the reality. They probably are accepted by those churches. They just don't feel like they're accepted. And perception is reality, even if it's not true. So that's what we've become over the years. Down here in the ghetto of Canton, it's not the prettiest church. It's not the richest church. It's not the fanciest church. But it's our church. The church that in every aspect we have tried to live out our name, to take action, to do what others might not be willing to do, and that means to go after the least of these. It means if on Thanksgiving, Canton needs to be given the bird, we give it the bird. And we feed hundreds of people. It means if the doors of the church need opening because there's no place for those who have nowhere to go to come in, when temperatures reach a certain degree, we become that church for people in this community. It means when those who are suffering from addiction and need a safe place to come, but those that are holding the meetings can't afford to come, we open up our doors and say, welcome. It's what we do. We do it gladly. We do it with honor. We're proud of what we do. And though other groups might not understand what we do, we're going to continue to do 
what we do. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1.27, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God takes those that society discards and he says, that's who I'm going to use for my purposes. And I think the problem with the church in general is the church in general has forgotten this. It's no longer willing to use the foolish things of the world. You've got to look a certain way and act a certain way and dress a certain way and talk a certain way. And here's the funny thing. You only got to do it on Sunday morning where you can act like a fake ass in front of everyone else. But on Sunday, by God, you're going to act a certain way or we're not going to use you. You know that today's our 11-year anniversary? 11 years. I don't really know when we started. I know that we were able to move inside 11 years ago. We met out in the parking lot for months. But the first Sunday in December, we moved next door. And while everybody predicted we wouldn't make it a year, here we are 11 years later. Still doing what we set out to do, church, for those who don't do church. I'm proud of this church. There's no place I would rather be than this church. 17 years ago when I moved here, it wasn't to be in the poorest part of town and be the pastor of Action Church. Through circumstances, here we are. And it just reminds me that God's always in control. God knows what he's doing. He's an on-time, all-the-time God. When we can't see tomorrow, God's already went ahead of us with a plan. This is a unique place. I'm very careful when I say this. I'm not saying it's the right place because that would insinuate other churches are wrong. It's a different place. We have a unique calling on our lives. I recently had a pastor come up to me, and I know, I think he, I think he was sort of joking. You know how when someone jokes but they're really jokingly throwing out a filler to you. His church and another church were merging, and he said, hey, you ought to be part of that. I laughed at him. And he was stupid and asked me in front of some influential people. He said the joke in front of some influential people, and I didn't want to punk him out in front of these influential people. But he opened the door. I looked at him and I said, man, that'd be the things nightmares were made of for you. What do you mean? I said, you'd be in the corner sucking your thumb after two days of dealing with my crazy crowd. He got real awkward and laughed. And I think he knew he offended me because he sent me a message later and said, hey, I was joking. You know, I was joking. He wasn't joking. And I love that church, and I love that pastor. I love the church I'm merging with, and I love that pastor. Actually, probably the only two pastors in town that I actually know and talk to. And I wish them all the best. We can't compromise the vision here. It's not the vision for everyone, but it's the vision God gave us. The Bible says, where there is no vision, the people perish. For all the bad things you can say about Action Church, and trust me, there's a laundry list. You can't say we haven't stuck with our vision. That God uses messed up people to do great things. You can't open this book and not see that. I hold in my hand a book full of messed up people that God looked down upon and said, that's who I'm going to use to fulfill my purpose. The church looks for the most qualified and God said, I'm just looking for someone who's available. God says, I'm just looking for somebody in this book right here. It's full of great leaders and great kings and great husbands and great wives and great preachers and great shepherds and great warriors. It's the greatest story ever written about some of the greatest people who ever lived. And no other book has shaped our lives like this book. But each and every one of those people, man, they had a history. They had baggage. They're not who the church would look to today to do great things. 
It's a book full of misfit toys. As you read this book, you don't see the type of people that we would think of when we think of those who changed the world. It's not a book of those who have it together. That's good news for us. It's not a book of the most educated. It's not a book of the most polished. It's a book of screwed up, messy people that God's used. And that's good news for us today. If you're looking for the perfect church, you have not found it today. If in your search for the perfect church, you do find it, do that church a favor and do not join with it because you'll ruin their perfection. The perfect church does not exist. There will be things that every church, especially this church, that you do not agree with. I'm the pastor and I don't agree with everything. We just decided a long time ago we were going to major on the majors and not minor. I mean, it's also minor on the minors. We weren't going to make mountains out of molehills. There's no relationship ever, even your marriage, where you agree all the time. But we're a family and we're united and we're going to move forward. And as we get ready for 2023, I think God's getting ready to do some big things here. Because I think we have a world that is just full, sick and tired of what the church has become. They have found it wanting and lacking. I think if COVID did anything, it showed people how irrelevant church was in their life. When they could no longer attend church, they didn't miss church. I didn't want you guys to have to go through that. That's why we just never shut down. (laughs) This is the highlight of my week. Being with you guys. I look forward to pulling into that parking lot every Sunday morning and wondering how can I make Yvonne mad today. Every week. I pull into that parking lot every week and say, after I make Yvonne mad, how can I be super sweet to Sandra in front of Yvonne where Sandra defends me? Like, I have a plan. I love this place. But I love what it stands for. It's an oasis to so many people who don't feel loved and accepted anywhere else. It's a place where people can come together regardless of their their social standing, their skin color, or their sexual preference and know that God loves you, we love you, and there's nothing you can do about it. But we've got to understand something. In order for us to be the church that God wants us to be, it's going to take more than just me or more than just those who are doing something. It's going to take everybody who walks through these doors to realize, man, God has a plan for my life. God has a purpose for my life. God has a vision for my life. I don't know where it is in the body of Christ, but I'm going to be part of the body and I'm no longer going to live being told I can't do something because of my past, because of my sin, because of how I'm wired. I can be used because God chooses to use me. God has a plan for you, a purpose for you, and this book is full of people that we would look at and say can't be used. This book is literally the original Island of Misfit Toys. I mean, if you go through this book, you'll see a dude named Noah. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was too old to be used. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. I mean, bless her heart, the Bible just says Leah was ugly. That's good news for some of you today. God uses ugly people. Write that down if you're watching online. We're going to talk about Moses today. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Samson, oh my God, he wouldn't be allowed in the Baptist church. He had long hair and was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute, the harlot saved by scarlet. Jeremiah and Timothy, the Bible says we're young. We'd look at them and say, you're too young to be used today. Thank God for young people. Let me tell you something. You are about to come into a surprise today. A church full of children today. Nobody wanted to step up in the kids' area? I said, shut it down. We're not begging them. I'm not hitting them over the head. Let them have one Sunday with all the kids in the service, but guess who's over there serving? Abby, 
and a bunch of teenagers. So don't tell me people are too young to be used. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. I mean, good Lord, there's a dude named Isaiah. Thank God that I don't do this. He preached naked. I have yet to hear any theologian explain that. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced. Bam! Five times. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. And Lazarus was dead. And yet God used each and every one of those people to fulfill his purposes. Don't tell me today that God can't use you. Don't tell me today God won't use you. If you think you can't be used by God and won't be used by God, you have bought into the biggest lie of the church in North America that God demands perfection from you. The problem is all these churches and all these pastors, they say, man, we love everybody and we accept messy people until they have to deal with the mess. The Bible says when there's no oxen in the stable, the stable stays clean. Well, yeah, that's not the purpose of the stable. Church is supposed to be messy. The leadership is supposed to be messy. If you're looking for a pastor who has it all together, maybe you're at the wrong place. I loved not long ago, and I know all of you are on social media, when the meme was going around and it was Tiger Woods and John Daly talking to each other. And Tiger Woods all decked out in his Nike gear, and John Daly's got a, a cigarette hanging out of his hand and a beer in his hand. He's got pink and blue pants on and his guts hanging out. And someone made a meme and put it on Facebook, and it said, Other pastors over Tiger Woods and over me, it said, The Action Church pastor. <laughs> so I shared it, and it got shared 700 times and had like 2,000 likes. I think the guy meant it as an insult, and I took it as a compliment. The Island of Misfit Toys. I decided long ago that we would never be a church that talks about what we're going to do. We're going to be a church who does what we say we're going to do. You've heard me say this before, but action wasn't a name we pulled out of thin air because we thought it sounded cool. We used it because we wanted it to be our mission, our vision. We've turned churches into business and they got core values and mission statements. Here's ours very simply, action. What are your values? Action. What's your vision? Action. What do you do? Action. We will never be the church that creates a Christian ghetto. We're not, we're not running around doing 15,000 Bible studies and having 15,000 meetings. Here's what we do. We gather on Sunday to encourage each other and to celebrate what Christ has done in our life. And then we go out throughout the weekend. We serve people in the name of Jesus. It's that simple. I don't have time for this to be my career. I volunteer just like you do. I I don't have time to be down here every day planning the next this and that. What do you do for youth? Here's what we do for youth. We provide an awesome Sunday morning service, and the youth love it, and they want to be in here because for whatever reason, they like the redneck preacher. We're here, and they like hearing preach, and they like to serve. We don't need a youth group. The youth in this church do more than the adults. Do you have this kind of study and that kind of study? You want to start a study? Go start it in your house. It's that simple. I'm not anti those things. I'm just saying we're not complicating church. We gather and we serve. The church was never supposed to be a come and see attraction. It was supposed to be a go and tell movement. The Bible says go into all the world and preach the gospel. What does Action Church do in the community? Everything that you do in this community because you are Action Church. It feeds people and it clothes people and it loves on people and it meets people and it's there for people in their time of grief. I love that next Sunday, Chuck, many of you knew Chuck, the older man that was always out in the lobby, volunteering. You know, Chuck died about a month ago and a bunch of people said, why is there nobody doing anything for Chuck? And next Sunday at 2 o'clock, they're going to have a gathering here. Just remember Chuck. I didn't do that. The church isn't doing that. People in this church are doing that. 
Why to honor somebody who came to this church at the darkest time in their life and who didn't have a lot of people who he connected with, but we're going to connect with him. We connected with him for two years, and this was his oasis. That's what this church does. We're the island of misfit toys. If you're used to prim and proper, man, that's awesome. But you're at the wrong place. We, we just don't do that. We're, we're just dumb enough to believe that God loved us enough that he kept it real simple. Love God and love people. It's a church full of people from all walks of life. There's people here that have been Christ followers forever. And I love that. But they come here with an understanding that when you come to this church, you become a missionary. Someone asked me today, so how do you join the church? I said, you show up. They said, well, well do you do membership? Nope. Uh-uh. Here's the problem with membership. Once you become a member, you expect something in return for it. When I'm a member at the golf course, I expect to show up and play golf when I want to play golf. I'm a member at Costco. You know what I like about Costco? Because I'm a member, I can buy 20 things of ketchup at one time, and they're all packaged together. I can buy a huge pack of Little Debbies. I get benefits, you know what I mean? I get to go and get the rotisserie chicken that's already shredded. You can't do that when you're, you commoners. I'm a member. That's what I get to do. Right, I ain't shredding my own, I'm bougie. Membership implies you get something out of it. We don't do membership, we do partnership around here, I guess, if you want to call it that. You decide to come, we're partnering together to reach those that are far from God. It's that simple. You do what I can't do. Get your friends here. Get your family members here. Get your lost people. Get the people in your life who said they'd never darken the doors of a church. You get here, and we'll make sure that they're loved on, and they hear about a God who loves them. It's a partnership. It's real simple. Stop complicating it. This book is full of people who were broke, busted, and disgusted. They weren't, lo- <laughs> they weren't looking to be used by God. They weren't qualified to be used by God. They were just regular Joes who ended up doing great things because God chose to use them for great things. As you read about these amazing people, what I find amazing about them is the, it's not that uh, these people were necessarily special. It's that deep down they didn't realize how special they were. They didn't realize that the book of Psalms says they are fearfully and wonderfully made. God doesn't make junk. God doesn't make mess ups. God doesn't make surprises. You know I'm going to say it. You might have surprised mommy and daddy when they made out in the back seat of their car, but you didn't surprise God. He planned you and he formed you. He told Jeremiah in his mother's womb, he said, I know you and I set you apart for greatness. God created you for greatness. The only reason you're still here is God has a plan for your life and God has a purpose for your life and God wants to do something great in your life. But the problem is so many of you are going to miss out on that because you bought the lie of the church that you can't be used. And then the problem is when you do get excited, the church comes and says, whoa, slow down there, buddy. That vision's too big. Slow down. We know you're on fire right now. We don't, I always thought this was funny. We know you're on fire for God. We don't want you to burn out. I can't think of anything better to burn out for than the cause of Christ. The funny thing about that, though, I've been doing this gig now since I was 21. 25 years now I've been pastoring churches. And I ain't ever burned out. I started church in Iowa and didn't burn out. I moved here 17 years ago and started a revolution. Screwed that up and got ran out of town and still didn't burn out. 11 years of dealing with you crazy, insane people. And I'm still not burned out. Because you know, the more you stoke a fire, the brighter it burns. You want to watch a fire burn out? Then leave it stagnant. The more you work a fire, the more you throw wood on that fire, the more you get oxygen to that fire, the more you work that fire, the brighter the fire burns. That's the way our walk with Christ is. Why would we ever look at somebody and tell them to slow down? Just get after it. At this church, I see this book lived out over and over and over and over. 
flawed people, a flawed preacher, doing what God told us to do. When we moved down here, people thought we were crazy. There's only a few of you left. I ran most of them off. Bye. They always come back, though. You can't start a church. I remember, I remember when I said, well, here's where we're, we got a building at. Someone said, do you speak Spanish? I said, uh-uh. Then why would you move down there? I said, well, all the other churches are moving out of town. No one's got to move in town. Somebody's got to love on the down and out. Somebody's got to be called the loco pastor to all the people around here that can't understand what I'm saying. This church serves a purpose. And I'm proud of this church, and you should be proud of this church. And I get that it's not the church for everyone, and I understand that completely. But God has used this church to do great things. It's just a bunch of nobodies trying to tell everybody about somebody who can save anybody. We're nobody. He's everybody. It's not about us. Someone was telling me one time, they said, this was years ago, they said, there's not many people who preach like you preach. I said, okay. He said, man, you could probably draw a lot of people if you tone it down. He came to me and said, listen, if you were in a different part of town, I'll write the check for you to move to a better part of town. I said, no. This is what we're called to do. I love redevelopment. I mean, I used to live two blocks from here. Made a lot of money on my house because of redevelopment. But I get worried as the area starts to redevelop. I'm like, where's the new ghetto that we're moving to? I love the vision of this church. I love that it's an island of misfit toys. God sees awesomeness so many times in us, but we're not used because where God sees awesomeness, we see insecurity. I told you the Bible says in Psalms 139, I praise you because I am fearfully, I am wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, God says, I made you and I formed you and I shaped you. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the people that God used. Some of the misfit toys, if you will, that God used. Today, we're going to hang out in the book of Exodus. Verses will be on the screen. Someone messaged me last week. Maybe you're here. I'm not trying to pick on you. They said, why is it so dark in there? I said, listen, trust me, you don't want to see this ugly building in the light. Keep it dark. Paint everything black. And keep it dark and it hides some of the nastiness. But I want you to imagine for a moment that you're God. I want you to imagine for a moment you're the creator of the universe. And you possess all the power within you. And I want you to imagine that the people that are your people are being held slaves. And it's now time has come for you to deliver them. And now you've got to find a man on earth to deliver your people from their captors. I don't know about you, but if I was God, I think I would send probably a great military leader for that task. Maybe a skilled politician who can negotiate with the people who have my people held captive. Maybe some great orator that had, could give great soul-stirring speeches that could rally the people. If you had the population of the world at your disposal, there's a lot of people you could have sent, and the one person you probably wouldn't have sent was a guy named Moses. After all, at this time, he was 80 years old. He was a fugitive. Wanted for murder. Wanted for murder in Egypt. The very place you're about to send him to set your people free. 
He was well-educated. He grew up in Pharaoh's home. We'll get to that in a little bit. But that was some 60 years prior. At one time, he was very well-connected in political circles, but those dimes had passed. He now has no confidence in himself. He's been working in his father-in-law's fields as a farmer. Not only that, you're sending him to set your people free, and he has a stuttering problem. He's very insecure when it comes to talking. Yet God looked down and he said, man, who can I send? I'm going to send Moses. The fugitive. The stutterer. The guy that just works in the fields all day long. That's the one that I'm going to send. The craziest thing to me is God called him. God believed in him. And yet Moses didn't believe in himself. Like many of us, he, he didn't see himself as God saw him. Let's just be honest about our society. We live in a society that will beat you down. We live in a society that almost delights in failure. We, we live in a society that delights in seeing people mess up or we can get all over social media and talk about it. We love to see a group of people and talk about why they're unqualified to do something. And it gets in your head after a while. And you begin to see yourself the way everyone else sees you instead of the way God sees you. But the problem is, where the rest of society sees a reject, God sees a reclamation project. God sees someone that he can shape and mold. He, he sees someone who, though you've got a mess in your past, that he knows that mess will make your greatest ministry. God sees us as he creates us. Most of us live like Moses lived up until this point. Moses, like most of us, he, he lived a life not defined by calling, but by insecurity. He had all of the reasons why he couldn't be used to God. You might find this shocking. I've been called cocky over the years. But no, shocking. I've been called arrogant over the years. I know it's shocking. And I get it. And I accept it. And there's probably a little bit of truth in it. But the reality is simply this. I understand my calling. When I lost everything, I still knew what I was called to do. I knew that I was going to have to start over, and I was going to have to build trust, and I was going to have to do whatever I could to make my name at least somewhat respectable again. But I knew my mess up didn't negate my calling. See, that's the problem. We live in such a world of insecurity, we don't know what to do when someone understands their calling. He's cocky. He's arrogant. He'll get humbled. I've been humbled so many times in my life, but I know my calling. And when you get secure in your calling, you'll change the world. But Gary, you, I, don't, I don't care. I don't care what you've been through. And I don't mean it in a sweet way, like I don't care God will still use you. I mean, I just simply don't care. It doesn't make you special. It's not a contest to see who has the worst past. God can use you. And God will use you. But you've got to embrace your calling. Most of us see ourselves like Moses saw us. And here's how Moses saw himself. I am never, fill in the blank, enough. I'd love to be used. You know God's got a calling on you. You know there's that desire in you. You know there's things that move you to compassion. But when God calls you, blank happens. I'm not Christian enough. I'm not smart enough to be used. 
I'm not rich enough to be used. I'm not educated enough to be used. I'm not loving enough to be used. I'm not knowledgeable enough to be used. I don't have the right pedigree to be used. Hello? I see God's using other people, and I I don't have what those people have. Good, that's why God's not calling you to do what they're doing. God looks at you and says, man, that misfit toy I can use. That misfit toy I can use. You just got to be willing to be used. I went to a gathering one time. I think I've shared this story before. They gather monthly. I haven't been back in five years. Of all the nonprofits locally, and I'm sure they have great intentions and their hearts are in the right place. And of all the weird ones I decided to roll into, it was coincidence, I just rolled into it. And it was about homelessness in Cherokee County. At that time, we'd been running the warming shelter for the city of Canton and Cherokee County for two years. There was about 150 people in the meeting. Nobody knew who I was. I slid in the back. They began to talk about homelessness. And this person had this idea, and this person had this idea, and this person had this idea, and they were grandiose ideas. They were phenomenal. I knew they were never going to happen, but they were great ideas. And lo and behold, if one person didn't recognize me, there's Gary in the back corner. Gary, don't you guys do stuff for homeless? And I said, well, I said, kind of. Well, come on up here and share with us what you do. I walked up and I said, man, it's really complicated. I said, when temperatures drop below 32 degrees, we unlock our front doors. And they come in the building and they sleep. And we feed them dinner and then we feed them breakfast and they leave. It's super hard. I was being a smart aleck. For the next hour and a half, It was a group of 150 people telling me how we should do it. Do you get their names? I said, no. Do you make them do this where you can follow up with them? Uh Uh-uh. Well, what's your volunteer email list like? I said, we got a homeless guy who lives in the building. At that time, we had a homeless guy who lived in the building. I said, he gets to live in the building for free. So when temperatures drop below 32 degrees, he unlocks the front doors. And he lets them in. Oh, well, we'd like to get a team together. He's going to burn out. I said, he ain't going to burn out. How do you know? I said, because if he burns out, he'll be homeless again. And they were just sitting there with shock on their face. Well, how do you go about feeding him? I said, it's really complicated. I post on Facebook, hey. The shelter's open. Need food. And in two and a half years, it's just always happened. What we could do is we could organize a team of all these people, and they could rotate, and you could, I said, I said, y'all are turning this into a job for me. Not interested. I said, it just works. And they just kept on. Well, I think you should do Finally, I looked at everyone and I said, Can I, ask, I started pointing people out. Can I ask you a question? I said, I mean, you got some great theories. I said, But what are you doing for the homeless? Well, I'm going to try. I said, That's not what I asked you. I said, What are you doing right now? And I went around the room and asked about 14 people that. And I made sure that I hit the three leaders of the biggest nonprofits because I'm just an a hole like that. And at the end of the day, the reality was is none of them were doing it. I said, here's the deal. It sounds to me like you guys got a lot of good theories, but you're doing nothing. I like our way better. Silence happened. I left the meeting, was never invited back. But here's what I know now, eight years in. The homeless still know where they can come. Not one person in any of those groups eight years later, and I'm not crapping on them, has done anything and started anything for the homeless. There was a lot more educated people in that building than me. 
There was a lot smarter people in that building than me. There was a lot of people with a whole lot more money than me. But God uses the misfits, the foolish things to confound the wise. We've been able to do that. I don't do that. Bob asked me the other day, Bob started in our homeless shelter. Now he's an insanely productive member of society. He said, well, do I need to come down for the shelter this year? Can I let you know? God just works it out every year. I don't know how it works out. Just an island of misfit toys. But if I had the mindset that I'm not blank enough, we'd never be used. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. I hope your crock pot was on low today because I'm going to preach a while. That repeat in our head, that blank. So many of you God wants to do great things through, but you got to get past the blank. you got to get past the lie that you can't be used. Moses was a leader. God called him to deliver the children of Israel from slavery. But before he could ever get to the point of delivering the people from slavery, God had to deliver him of some things. The head games were keeping him from being what God wanted him to be. Your problem is not a resource problem. Your problem is not an education problem. Your problem is not that you don't know the Bible good enough. The problem is none of those things because God will use you in spite of those things. The problem is, is you've got to believe that God called you to do those things. And where God leads, God feeds. You know, let's just get cliche as can be where God guides, God provides. You ain't ever went anywhere today that he wasn't yesterday. We can throw cliches out all day long, baby. I can go preachery with any of them. You just got to believe that God called you. And when you believe God called you, God will make a way. We complicate this thing called Christianity. We complicate this thing called serving. I hear people all the time say the problem with kids today, these kids today, the problem with these kids today is they think they're so special. They, they, they think they're so special, they need to post everything they have on social media. No, the problem is that they think they're special. The problem is they don't realize how special they are. <laughs> There's a generation coming up that if they were ever looking for guidance, it's the generation coming up. Because adults have quit leading for fear of dealing with critics. We're no longer guiding our children on how to win at life. And in the process, we're raising losers. I told you this a couple of weeks ago. The goal of parenting is really simple. To raise your children to leave. We're coddling them instead of leading them. The problem is that they think they're special. The problem is they don't realize how special they are. They don't realize how God sees them, and therefore they're looking for validation from everybody else. The Bible says in Exodus 3.1, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to the mountain of God. So right here, Moses is isolated and he's alone. Sometimes you just got to get alone for God to speak to you. Sometimes you've got to unplug from the noise around you for God to speak to you. We're consumed with information and noise. Sometimes you've got to get alone. I think everybody knows I'm a huge Deion Sanders fan. Deion Sanders took the Colorado job last night. I was watching him address his players at Jackson State today. I was watching the video where he addressed them last night, and he said, I know some of you don't understand. He goes, but I had to get alone last week. And listen to God. He goes, I had to get alone to find out where I was supposed to go. That's why I wasn't here Wednesday. Sometimes you've got to separate from the noise to hear from God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of the fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Moses thought, I will go over and see that strange sight, why the bush did not burn up. 
And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. He said, don't come any closer. God said, take off your sandals. The place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father. I love how God will always identify himself. How do I know it's God? He will identify himself. I'm not saying he's going to talk to you in an audible voice, but he will. He might. He will identify himself. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. That's what you do when you're in the presence of holiness. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying and because of the slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, blah, 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 Knights, all the words I can't pronounce. Verse 9. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. He says, so now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh, the leader. Bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. (laughs) God's speaking to a man who didn't expect it, and he surely didn't expect it through a burning bush. God's not calling Moses once, but he calls him twice. He's telling Moses that Moses will be the deliverer of the children of Israel. See, God didn't see a murderer. He didn't see a farmhand. He saw someone he was going to use for great things. He saw the one who would set his children free. I always like it when people come into this church the first time and someone knows them. You know who that is? No, I don't. So-and-so, do you know about them? I don't care. I'm glad they're here. Where else are they supposed to be? We started this church for them. (laughs) But Moses said to God, this is what some of you say to God when he's called you, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? You're alone. A bush catches on fire. The bush don't burn up. A voice comes from the bush. One of two things, I'm taking some good shrooms. Or if I know I haven't taken good shrooms, I know it's God talking to me through the bush. And I probably ain't going to listen. I mean, I probably am going to listen. I'm probably not going to come up with excuses. But we do it all the time. Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? What a pitiful response. Who am I? Think about it. We're watching a conversation between God and Moses, and we see the the two conversing. We hear God, we hear Moses, but we don't hear the third person. We don't hear the insecurities. We don't hear the conversation going on in Moses' head. Wade, you don't hear the conversation. We don't see it going here. Stand up, Wade. Stand up. Y'all don't know Wade. I met Wade a couple weeks ago. I like Wade. Wade was working at a nonprofit locally, serving and doing great things. You can sit down with Wade. Then he screwed up. And he came and had lunch with me. That'll mess anybody up. And he messed up and said, well, I feel like God's probably going to move me here. And he said, <laughs> down the road. I said, okay. Sucker. Two weeks later, he lost that job. And now God's moving him down the road. And he's excited. The guy's on fire for God. But I, I, I'm not stupid. I know there's some insecurities in there. There's some doubts in there because he's human. I have my own theories on why he's lost his job. So if you've been here for the first time today, just be careful when you come to this church. You never know what might happen to you. <laughs> I've got a plan for your life. I've got a purpose for your life. It'd be an easy way to go back to a six-figure job like you made your whole life. You're good at it. You might have to do that temporarily, but God's got a plan. God's got a purpose. And God wants to use you. God wants to use each and every one of us here. But we've got to get past, who am I? Let me tell you who you are. You're a child of Christ. And if God called you, he will equip you. 
God's telling Moses who he is. And Moses responds, I get who you are, but who am I? I'm not qualified. I'm not gifted enough. I'm not a leader. I'm wanted by the law. I'm 80 years old. Who am I? God, I dig the conversation and it's awesome. I can't wait to tell people about it. It's going to make a great story over beer one day. But who am I? So many of you come up to me over the years you've been coming to church and you tell me, Five years ago, God called me to do this, and I never did it. Ten years ago, God called me to do this, and I never did it. Fifteen years ago, man, God laid this on my heart, and I never did it. And I don't know why. Here's why. Because you didn't believe God could use you. You believe because you screwed up along the way that God couldn't use you. We're the church where pastors who screw up come. They come all the time to this church. They walk in the back door. They tell me who they are. And I can always tell where they'll be used again instantly by their demeanor. They should be broken. They messed up. Sin's real, and we ought to not celebrate and praise sin. But sin doesn't negate us from being used by God, because if it did, none of us would be able to be used. Just because someone sins differently doesn't negate the fact that it's sin. And you're never going to have it all together. Guess what? I sin every day. You're looking for someone not to let you down. You're at the wrong church. I will let you down. We just parade our crazy out on the front porch, baby. We decided long ago we don't do fake around here. And that's uncomfortable for a lot of people who've been in church their whole life. Because they bought into the mask of church and the fakeness of church. The fakest place in the world is church services on Sunday morning. Disgusting. And we wonder why the church is so impotent today. There's no power in the church. Why do we not see a great movement of God? Because it's full of people faking it instead of being real before God. Book is real people. Really messing up. And God's using them. And Moses said, who am I? God sees Moses and Moses sees something else. I've got, I got to get to this sermon. I'm hungry. I'm going to fly through these points. Are you ready? The first thing Moses says to him, says, he says, man, I'm so dysfunctional. I can't use me, I'm dysfunctional. See, if you read this, you would just think, Moses is saying, who am I? Because he's meaning, who am I compared to God? And you would look at him and be like, man, that's a noble thing. You understand your role, but that's not what this is about at all. To understand his insecurities, you have to understand the history of the person. The enemy will use your history to ignite your insecurity. The devil loves to remind you of your past. He wasn't being humble here saying, who am I compared to God? He's like, who am I? God is identifying himself to Moses, and all Moses can hear is the thoughts in his head. Holy crap, I'm a murderer. I'm wanted back in Egypt. They got a warrant out for my arrest. I'm on the run. Years, but years before this moment. Moses saw a situation, and Moses handled the situation wrong. He was Hebrew by birth, but he'd been raised by an Egyptian king, and he was tired of seeing the Hebrews being treated poorly by the Egyptians. So look what he said. Exodus 2, one day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them with the hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that way, seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and um, saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hiding? Your fellow Hebrew, the man said, who made you ruler and judge us? Are you thinking of killing us like you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled to Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Moses saw an Egyptian beating Hebrews and he killed the Egyptian. Probably not the best way to handle that situation. Probably not the smartest way to handle that. Now here it is years later. He's gotten married. He's working for her dad. He's living the simple life out on the farm. Yeehaw. He's away from it. He's probably 40 years later to the point he doesn't even think about it every day. Because that's what sin does. You'll replay it over and over and over and over and over and over. Because the enemy likes to put it on rewind. And probably for the first time in his life, he's enjoying that life is good. He's hit that point that he's not looking over his shoulder. 
He's looking at that point where he's not worried about everyone finding out about him. <laughs> but then God comes along and says, hey, I need you to return to Egypt. Yeah, the place you killed that guy. The place where the Pharaoh's still in control. <laughs> the place where you're still wanted. And you're going to go up to Pharaoh, the guy who's looking for you, and you're going to tell him to set your people free. As soon as God begins to tell Moses what he wants to do, Moses starts saying, man, I'm, I'm too dysfunctional, God. I'm too dysfunctional. God, I believe you can set people free, but who am I? I'm a man in hiding. I'm hiding my face right now because you're holy, and I'm so messed up. I'm so jacked up. God, I'm messy. God, I suck. You can't use me. Notice our insecurities talk in the first person. Who am I? not always the things that happened before we met Christ. Sometimes it's the things that happened after we met Christ. Because you met Christ doesn't mean you became perfect. We don't achieve perfection until we get to heaven. We keep making the same mess ups. We're dysfunctional. So God's calling you and you're like, man, I can't be used, man. Man, I, I still drink a little too much. And I still struggle with addiction. And Man, I'm still looking at things on the computer I shouldn't be looking at and Man, I still lose my temper. Man, I'm just, God, I, I, I'm not the right person. This is what Moses, and the enemy plays all in your head on why you're too dysfunctional to be used. And then Moses comes on, not only am I dysfunctional, he's here, I'm, I'm deficient. I'm deficient. The word deficient literally means I'm lacking something that is needed. Not having enough of something. God, I, I know you want to use me. I'm not skilled enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not brave enough. I'm not insightful enough. I'm not, back to the original thing, blank. I'm deficient. God comes to Moses and his insecurities start to point to what appear to be flaws. Let me catch you up. God calls Moses and Moses doubts. Moses is worried no one's going to follow him. Who am I? They already told me back then after I killed him. I went back to them and said, who are we? Our ruler now? They're not going to follow me. And God comes along and says, hey, here's what you do when they don't follow you. When Pharaoh doesn't answer you, you take your rod and you throw it on the ground. It's going to turn into a snake. Reach up and pick up that snake and it's going to turn back into a rod. God says, hey, 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 put your hand in your cloak and pull it out. And it's going to have disease all over it. Put it back in the cloak and it's going to come out clean. He's giving Moses the tools to be followed. He said, if they don't like that, man, pour some water on the ground and it's going to turn to blood. He goes, they'll believe you. They'll believe you. He said, I'm going to give you the tools to be used. Don't miss this. I said it already. Where God leads, he feeds. They're going to follow you, Moses. And if they don't follow you, do this, this, and this. I mean, he's spoon-feeding him. Spoon-feeding him. Do this, they'll, they'll follow. Ah, but those deficiencies start rearing up. Chapter 4, verse 10, Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent. Neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and tongues. He, he said, God, I, 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 I got a stuttering st 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 problem, God. They're going to look at me, and, and there's no way they're going to follow me. You want me to go to Pharaoh and look at him and say, set my people free. And I, I don't even know that I can get the words out. I'm deficient. God, that snake thing, that's cool. That disease hand thing, man, that is cool. When I'm at the party, God, I'm going to try that. Water in the blood, <laughs> that's bad to the bone, God. But, but, but I, I, I'm not a good speaker. I'm not eloquent. I, I, I'm not polished. And I got invited this week to speak to a bunch of realtors. And the whole way up there, God was like, what are you doing? Excuse me, the devil was like, what are you doing? You don't have anything in common with these people. Who are you to talk to them? These are business professionals. I was praying. I was listening to worship music. I was listening to a podcast. And I walked in that room and I looked around that room and just realized they're nothing but people just like me. They're not better than me. I'm not better than them. And for whatever reason, this is where I was at the moment. They had to listen to me. 
where God put me. It's been a long time since I've been nervous about a talk. I can get up here and rant and rave to you guys every week. Because I have the crutch, I guess it's a crutch, I have the crutch of the Bible. This is a business meeting. I wasn't using the Bible. For God brought me and He used me. God, I'm not as good as others. I don't, I don't have what it takes. I'll never be good enough. I'm not tall enough, God. I'm not blonde enough. I have a speaking problem. God, who's going to listen to me? And the Lord said to him, verse 11, who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go. I will help you speak, and I will teach you what to say. God, I get done with this sermon. God said, who made you? I did. We had that talk with my son one time recently. I said, let me tell you who you are. Some of you might not like this type of parenting. Guess what? He ain't your kid, so I don't care. I said, let me make something clear to you. What's your last name? He said, Lamb. I said, Lambs, don't act like that. I said, you don't back down from anybody. I said, you don't go to practice and go half-hearted. I don't expect you to be the best on the team. I said, but I expect you to outwork every single person on that team. I said, when every kid on that sideline's playing up and they're cutting up and they're laughing as they're getting their tail kicked, you don't do that. That's not what we do. I said, if you lose, you lose. But we don't lose because we didn't give our best. I had to remind my son who he was. I've been known to use that phrase, do you know who I am every now and then? It's probably not one of my finer moments. <laughs> Normally, Lisa, we're about to throw down somewhere. <laughs> Sometimes you've got to remind people who you are. God said, you got a stuttering problem? I put that tongue in your mouth. I created you. I made you. And I don't create junk. I read this, man. I get God. I, I get it. He said, who made you? See, when you doubt the product, you insult the manufacturer. When you doubt the product, you insult the manufacturer. When God's called you to do something and you tell him all the reasons you can't, you insult God. When you imply you're deficient, you imply that God doesn't know what he's doing. Who are you? He's God. Mm. Either he's God or he's not. The problem is we treat him like he's just God when, when out of our duty, man. I'm like, I went to church on Sunday and it was great, man. It was so fun and I don't remember what he talked about. I always say, you always remember what we talked about here. But Moses said, Part, verse 13, pardon your servant, Lord, please send someone else. God, I can see I'm getting nowhere with you. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. Man, who wants to get God mad? Holy smokes. So much for peace, love, and pizza, man, with God. He angry right here. The Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you guys. You're so worried about it, I already got plan B. I already got your brother on his way to meet you. And he would be glad to see you. You should speak to him and put words in his mouth. I'll help both of you speak. And we'll teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take a staff in your hand so you can form the signs with it. I get Moses here. He said, I'm deficient. I'm deficient. God said, I'm going to send plan B. Don't miss this, though. Don't miss this. Don't let that be a cop-out. Because plan B will keep you from missing all that God wanted for you. I'm not saying this is why, but Moses actually never got to go into the promised land. He never got to lead them. Joshua ended up leading them. Moses died before that time. He missed out on the blessing that God had for him by being in complete surrender. So even when you're doubting, God will send along a plan B, but you'll miss out on God's best for your life. I'm done right here. He said, God, I'm doubtful. That's our problem. That's our problem right there. Man, we're deficient, God. God, we're deficient. We're dysfunctional, God. I just doubt myself. We believe God, but we doubt God can do it through us. God, I know you can do this. 
I know you can. I'm just doubting you can use me. <laughs> we give the God deal. God, it's not you, it's me. It's not you, God. It's me. I just doubt I can do this. Moses said to God, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, what is his name? And what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am. You know, I love that verse. I am who I am. That is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. God, I, I, get, the, I, I get what you're saying. I am, but I, I am who? God, I need your name. I'm doubting myself. Who do I say sent me? And God says, I am. I get it. I am who, God? I am who? God says, I am. You tell him I am sent me. I've studied this out. Why did God give him this kind of vague answer when Moses needed certainty? Because the way God words this focuses on the present tense. He says, I am. I am whatever you need when you need it. I am. You're dysfunctional, you're deficient, you're doubtful, and God says, I am. He's more than enough. He's the provider when you need finances. He's the doctor when you need healing. He is what you need when you need it, when you have no direction. He is the shepherd. He says, I am the way, I am the truth, and the life. He said, I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. I am the beginning and the end, and I'm everything in between. He's the Father. He's the Shepherd. He's the friend that sticks closer than a brother. He's the one that has the hairs on your head numbered and owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You say, God, I'm not good, and he says, but I am. God, I don't know what I'm doing. I am. God, I'm not a leader. I am. God, I'm not strong enough. I am. God, no one else believes in me. I am. God, I'm so doubtful. I am. God, I'm deficient. I am. God says, you are the toy, the misfit toy that I have decided to use. That's amazing today. Get past your insecurity and realize he is. He's going to kill me for this. I, know, I didn't ask before. Blake, where are you at? Stand up. Blake, where are you at? Over there. Blake, how long were you an addict, an active addict? And how long have you been clean? And now, hold on, hold on, stop, hold on, hold on, stop, stop, stop. That ain't good. That ain't even the reason we're, what do you do now for a living? Works at Kennesaw State, for those in recovery, one of the biggest recovery programs in the nation with a former addict. If God can use a skinny jean wearing man, God can use anybody. God takes your mess and uses it for ministry. Island of misfit toys changed the world. God, I've went long. Let's pray.